You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. And welcome to this episode of Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast. I am your host, Richard Franzi, and this is podcast episode number 1139. Anarchy is coming. Decentralization is accelerating and technology is facilitating the trend. Patrick Swetferger is a business futurist, and I've invited him to join the discussion about the impact that big data, AI, and blockchain is having on our economy. I tell you, he's the author of the book, AI, Anarchy Incorporated. So for those of you on our live stream, you see the copy of the book here. I recommend you buy this right now because you're going to want to read this book. As I was reading this book this summer, I was blown away by the content. You have done such a great treatment of these ideas, but also then from an entrepreneur's perspective, helping us to figure out how to capitalize on this. So Welcome to Critical Mass Radio Show and, po and Podcast. Yeah, Podcast. thanks so much, Rick. I'm really happy to be here. It's an exciting time for sure, and I'm, yeah. I'm delighted to be here with you today. So, like I said, your book's a provocative look into the future based on the next round of what I think of as disruptive innovation. I mean, do you find that entrepreneurs like those that listen to Critical Mass Radio Show kind of understand how quickly the world will be changed based on these innovations? No, I, I really don't. And, no. and in fact, this is the inspiration of the book, is that so I, I, I do a lot of work to follow trends, and I speak at a lot of conferences. And people are, they don't know. They're, they're afraid. They don't know what's coming. And they, for the most part, don't realize how quickly it's creeping in from the edges. Right. It's, people are always focused right in front of them. But this disruptive innovation, it comes from the sides. Disruptive innovation invalidates existing business markets. And the reason that people get caught in that is because they're looking at the wrong thing. They have to look on the sides, and that's where it's coming. And it's always easier to look at in the rearview mirror, Right. To, yeah. to recognize what Amazon did, tell the stories to the different, but but it's harder to forecast that into the future. But that's why people like you who write books like you do are so valuable for entrepreneurs and business owners. Well, there's also some really good models that people can follow. I mean, this, and we can we don't have enough time to go through all of them. But the simplest one is is to say that disruptive innovation usually caters to the least profitable business market first. Okay. So whatever your cash-strapped customers, the customers you don't even like, they're such a pain in the neck. You wish you didn't <laughs> even have them. What do they want? Right? That's looking at the bottom. Everyone always looks at the top because those are the premium products. That's where the profit right. is. That's where you we want to protect that. Exactly. And that, that's where we always look. I do that myself. What's your premium product? But meanwhile, the disruptive innovation, it quite often comes from the bottom. And, and uh, I read in your book, and, and we've had a chance to talk before you came on the program. Yeah. Uh, he's a resident of Orange County, ladies and gentlemen. So just we're, moved. We're just moved here. Yeah. So we're very fortunate to Three have him. Three weeks ago. There you yeah. go. There you go, though. He's here now. We yeah. got him. They failed to appreciate how quickly these things can change, you know, that critical mass tipping point. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about what, because uh, you, you talked about autonomous vehicles. Yeah. And the, sure. and the downstream impact of it. You know, we think about how great it is not to have to drive in traffic anymore, but there's a lot of unintended consequences that may happen from that. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, it's just, I mean, the disruption in terms of job displacement. So there's, there's 3.5 million uh, commercial drivers in this country. So that's roughly 1% of our population, 2% of our workforce. Right? So just that alone, these people, and these are not people who are historically prone to, to switch careers easily. We're talking about someone who may have driven a truck for 20 years. It's not easy to retrain a person like that. It can be done, but it's, the, the odds of success are a little bit And those are high-paying jobs. 
those are high paying for, of course. And right now there's a shortage. So we're going to a place where there's actually a bidding war for truckers. Right. And perhaps in five to seven years, maybe less, maybe three to five years, it's going to have a 180 degree turn, right? But there's other consequences as well. Like, for example, the average car is, is, is dormant parked for 94% of the time on average, right? Yes. Meanwhile, an autonomous car can drive, you know, 90, 95% of the time. So we don't, we don't have to replace the entire fleet of cars. We have to replace one tenth of the fleet of cars to get the same functionality. Wow. Right? It's just like trucks can only drive 10 hours a day, right, by law. Right. Meanwhile, the autonomous trucks, they can drive the whole time. So we don't have to replace the whole fleet. We have to replace half of it. See, it's using today's thinking to imagine tomorrow's future, and that's where I think people run into trouble because yeah. of the way you just painted that picture. I mean, until I read your book, I never thought about how underutilized my car is. Yeah. That most of the time, it's setting somewhere. Yeah. And that if, if we shared cars, we wouldn't need as many cars. Yeah. And you talk about how many truck drivers there are, but how many people are involved in the automotive industry? I know. Well, this is, so we had a, what was the drop in, in 2009? I don't even know what it was. I think it was about 17% or something. And meanwhile, there's some people hypothesizing that, tr that car sales could drop by 90%. I think that's excessive. Right. I don't think it's going to be that high. But even if it was 50, if it was 55, 60, this is an enormous disruption in an industry that accounts for a sizable part of the whole economy. Right. So too big where you can't, can no longer bail everybody out. Like there has to be a market adjustment. And right. that's, that's going to come as well. So there's opportunities the, and, and challenges. It's the people that make the cars. It's the people that sell the cars. Oh it's gosh. the people that service the cars. I yeah. mean, just think of that whole ecosystem if we needed, even to your point, half as many. Yeah. And Delphi, all the OEM producers. I mean, there's a huge, all the consulting. I mean, there's an enormous ecosystem. But at the same time, there's money to be made, right? And, right? and human beings are resilient. Human beings want to work. And human beings are creative, which machines are not, right? We will find things to do. But inevitably, what's going to happen is that the middle part of the, of the population, that those middle class jobs are going to get, there's going to be downward pressure because they're on the wrong side of the leverage equation. In other words, you're either leveraging technology or technology is leveraging you. Yes. And if we, that's what we all have to do, not only as business leaders, but as citizens and as just workers out in the economy. We always have to make sure we're on the right side of that leverage equation and try and find a way to be on the, on the same side as the technology. So you can help your employer transition to the new system, for example. Like, be on that cutting edge. Don't run away from it. You have to run towards it. Yeah, and so I want to spend one more question on the drama and the, and the, and, and the impact of it. And yeah. then the other part on what I found so encouraging about your book, which is the second half of the book, which is really an inspiring tale to business owners and entrepreneurs. So yeah. let's hold that thought, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to get there in a minute, but I'm not ready to get there yet. Let's talk about this concept of the fact that Technology disintermediated a lot of jobs in the past, but they were labor jobs. They were yeah. manual jobs. This next round is moving up the food chain as yeah. far as skilled laborers and knowledge workers, right? Yeah, and this is this is a, I mean, it's sad because these this has been affecting the blue collar, you know, part of the economy, which is. What is it? I, I don't even know. 75, 80%, I'm guessing, okay. are blue-collar jobs. So it's been affecting them for 30 years. And it's been a really rough road. Uh, we saw that reflected even in the election. So it's been very it, – right. it's permeated the entire society. Now it's getting into the news stories. Why? Because it's affecting the white-collar people. It's sad that it is that way. But, but the, at least it's coming now. Right. At least now it is in the news and people can start to make some adjustments. And there's going to be a lot of adjustments that have to be made. And they're coming quicker than people people expect. So so we're going to shift it now. And I want to talk about in the book and um, you talk about linear thinking yeah. versus exponential thinking. Could, 
And, and I thought, well, that, that is a good message for my audience of business owners who are strategically planning their company's future. And I've been sharing this message from your book since I read it. So can you share with my audience the difference? Yeah, I, I think you're, I don't know specifically what you're referring to in the book, and you'll have to give me a hint if I'm on the wrong track. Okay. But, but the bottom line is that exponential thinking, of course, you know, it's, what if it's 10 times as good as it is today, right? What if the cost is one-tenth of what it is today? And that's from, a, from an executive perspective or even an investor perspective, that's a great one because if the technology that you're implementing today, which is cutting edge, but it's costing you a lot of money, and so there's a break-even analysis that's being done to justify that, that investment, well, what happens if that technology is one-tenth of the cost it is today? That completely changes the break-even analysis, and all of a sudden, it, it the, the same technology becomes accessible to all sorts of market players in your industry that are much smaller than yours, much right. less capitalized. Maybe just a small shop with a dozen employees or even less can all of a sudden become a formidable competitor because it's, it's all the propagation curve, right? The big companies, they invest a lot of money to develop these new technologies. But then, and we talked about this just before the show, those technologies get implemented into the software packages like the ERM package or the ERP packages and the CRM. You know, these are all like Salesforce and, mm -hmm. and Oracle and all right. these SAP. And so they incorporated and that's where it propagates into the mid-level companies where all of a sudden they have access to it in a software package and now they're formidable competitors to the people who used to be the industry stalwarts and the leaders right because so that's perfect so let's keep that going for a second i think a lot of times in strategic planning we plan for incremental improvement yeah and this is where i liked your exponential thinking because you said you know in true exponential thinking when your pond is half filled with lily pads yeah. you're one day away from having the whole pond covered well this is i love Okay, perfect. And this is what I was saying. I didn't know what you were thinking, but it's a perfect example is that if you're scaling at 100% per cycle, then yeah, halfway is only one step from full. But the better example is that at 1%, like if it's scaling 100% per year, how many years does it take to get to 100? It's only six and a half. <laughs> Right, six and a half years, one to two, two to four to eight, 16, 32, that's five years. Right. Six years is 64. The seventh year, you're over 100. Wow. And that's exactly what happened with the human genome, which started in 1990. By 1997, they were 1% complete. And everyone was like, my gosh, we're never going to make it. We're going to need so seven. So expensive. We're going to need 700 more years. <laughs> but meanwhile, we got there in, in actually less than, it was about five and almost just shy of six years uh, to complete the project because it was scaling at more than... 100% per year. So that rate of scaling, it varies, right, by semiconductors, right. and now battery technology is scaling right now. Solar is scaling about 25% per year. So it depends on what industry, but whatever that number is, you can calculate into the future and get an idea, and those numbers become really big, really fast, and things that seem impossible today become possible very quickly. There's a common saying, I think Bill Gates said it, and I love this quote. If, I, if, I, if it's not Bill Gates, I apologize. But he said, most people overestimate what they can do in a year, but they dramatically underestimate what they can do in a decade. Wow. And that's a result of this exponential effect because you, you redefine the baseline every time you make progress. Right? So 10% from a higher place is a bigger number. 10% from a higher place is yet a bigger number. So as you make progress, those 10% increments get larger and larger, or 20 or 40 or 100 or whatever that increment is. So it accelerates over time. So I love the fact that um, thinking differently. Don't think linearly. Think about how you can have 100% improvements year over year. So yeah. I'm, I'm trying ins to inspire our audience yeah. to recognize they have that capability. And then the other side of what you write about in the book is you, you talk about thinking big yeah. and how that not only reinforces your employees and your younger employees, uh, and I'll let you talk about that, but also what, su what surprised me is that 
some of your competitors get inspired by you thinking big. <laughs> and your customers, everybody does. Right. It really, I mean, look at Elon Musk. It's really astonishing. But, I mean, the whole idea of, so for those of you who are listening, I mean, think about your biggest product or biggest service package that you have and take that price and just in your mind, multiply it by 10, literally 10 times higher. And think to yourself, what could you sell at that higher price? Or, or the better question, Rick, the better question is what needs to be included for it to be a great deal right. at that larger? And, and what happens, it's a branding discussion. It's a marketing discussion. Because at the end of the day, who cares if anybody buys it? It doesn't matter if anybody buys it. What you're developing is the opportunity to market it. Yes. Right. You're marketing that larger package. I, I think I might have told you the story. I met this guy on the on the flight coming back from 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 Europe, and he was selling these very expensive expensive microscopes for about a hundred thousand dollars a piece. And we went through this exercise on the plane, and uh, and I said, "What's the the highest price?" He said, "A hundred thousand. Multiply it by ten. It's a million dollars." I'm like, "What needs to be included for that million dollar microscope to be a great deal? Do you know? Do you know what it is?" And he said, "Yeah, I know." This guy was, he was one of three owners in the company, really, really smart guy. And I said, don't worry if anybody buys it. That doesn't matter, right? Develop that microscope and market the heck out of it. Put it all over everything because you will rebrand your own business. You will reframe. This is about framing. It's about frame control. You'll reframe your business as being, you're the guy that sells the million dollar microscope. And then someone calls and says, look, I don't need your really top one, but could we buy the one that's 150000 <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we can do that, right? right. And you, you, can, you can do this with anything. You can do this with, you know, I knew a, a friend of mine's, well, anyway, it was a, someone I knew through a friend, and she was a singing teacher, and she, she charged almost nothing for singing lessons, and she wanted to have a group class where eight or ten people could get together and, and do like an eight-week program. At the end, of the, they would do a performance. And I said, what are you going to charge for this? And she said like 200 to $300. I'm like, you're out of your mind. Like, you need to be charging $7,000. And she said, that's crazy. That would never sell. I'm like, what needs to be included? What if you're doing Les Mis in some huge auditorium? I was living in San Francisco at the time, which is where I moved here from. What if it was in the auditorium or the more, what, the Orpheum or whatever it is in San Francisco, a beautiful facility with a four-camera angle camera crew, and these kids get to do a performance and have video of them doing it in Les Mis in one of the nicest facilities in San Francisco. Would it be worth $7,000? You can, it's a different audience. <laughs> right. It's a different audience. Right. But there's some parents that are going to be like, I want my child to have that experience and $7,000 is affordable. So I, I love that example. I love both of those examples because I, th I think the other thing that it helps people to do as a business leader is if you start to think about 10xing the value or the price, you start to look at other areas around your business yeah. that you might need to incorporate. And that's where the disruption happens, right? Well, it's, it's adjacent markets. You're right. Yes. You look laterally. So I always say, look up, look down, look side to side. So you look up, that's premium pricing. That's where your profit dollars come from. You look down, that's where the disruptive innovation comes from. That's where the threats are. And side to side, that's adjacent markets. What you just said is you're looking in, so from an industrial or commercial perspective, adjacent market, you could think, who's one of your biggest suppliers? Who else do they sell to? That's an adjacent market. Right, who's one of your biggest customers? Who else do they buy from? That's an adjacent market. It's a really easy exercise just in a half an hour. You can brainstorm and come up with 10 or 20 adjacent markets. And then you think you can go through each one of them and say, okay, what are these people doing badly? Mm. Like what's horrible, what's frustrating, what's irritating, right? right? And immediately, I mean, in one, I do these strategic sessions sometimes with executives. And in a, in a single afternoon, 
we can blow out these ideas. People start, and very quickly you end up with two or three that they really hone in on. But there's, you know, the thinking bigger. Peter Thiel is someone I've followed for years. He's a brilliant, brilliant guy, of course. Right. Co-founder of PayPal, just like Elon. Right. Anyway, uh, he says, how can you achieve your 10-year goal in the next six months? <laughs> I mean, right away, that's as an investor, right? Your brain short circuits, and you th- all of a sudden you start thinking of options you didn't think otherwise. Like, and, and you have to you have to ask the question slow enough so that you can picture that ten year goal, because otherwise you're going to cheat and downplay it so that the it's not as big of a challenge. Right. Right. But if you say picture your ten year goal, where do you want to be in ten years, and get them to hone in on that. What is that place? Okay. Now that we know what it is, how can we get there in six months? Oof, that's a doozy. Right. Right. And it's the job of the CEO. You know, a lot of the people that listen to the radio show are middle market business owners or top executives running companies with up to about $100 million in revenue. Wow. There's a lot of pressure on them to be the one who's leading the strategic thinking in many of these organizations, yeah. especially the smaller ones. And so to, to have a healthy culture where you can brainstorm these type of outcomes, I think if they don't bring that thought process to the organization, there's a lot of people who aren't going to do it on their own because it's really not their job to yeah. think this way. And meanwhile, this is precisely – I totally agree with you. And, I mean, it could be as simple as – you know, a Friday afternoon twice a month. Right. Right. And you could pick a different group of five people each time and just, it's, you know, you got two hours just to see what you come up with. I mean, it can be that simple. But the reality is that not doing it and always being cautious, and I, I understand the value in caution because we all have finite resources. Some of these experiments are, ex- are expensive. If they fail, you lose a lot of money, right? There's very, very big risks, particularly for the smaller companies. Right. Some of these technologies cost a lot of money. But this feeds into the apathy of the millennial generation because they want to take that step. Mm. They want you to take those risks. And so when you get out of your comfort zone, you say, OK, let's think about it. Let's talk about it. Let's run an experiment. What's the minimal viable product and right. try something? Then those young kids that we blame as being lazy and apathetic and entitled, they will light up like a light bulb. And they'll work. look at the average age of employees at, at uh, SpaceX. Uh-huh. 27. Oh, my God. 27. <laughs> Those kids are working 16 hours a day. Right. And they're doing something significant. Yeah. Now, right. I mean, look, we can't – I understand we're not all building rockets to go to Mars. Like, it, it's not a fair fight. Yeah, yeah but, but 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 hold on a second. Um, we do a thought exercise inside the peer groups that I lead here in Orange County, which is if you were uh, – if you had Amazon at the time that Jeff Bezos did his first viable business venture, oh my right? Gosh. Would you have ended up – would you have led it to where it is today? Yeah. Or if, if not – Think about why. And I would suggest that part of it is because he's willing to take risk and have failure. Yeah, for sure. And continue the vision. So what happens if you have a 10x goal and you achieve it? Well, you better have a 10x goal of that 10x goal, which is 100x of your original position, right? Right. And if you don't have, like, for example, the Bitcoin run up uh, a year ago and it went up to $20,000. And people are all, they're all like, oh, my gosh, I I had, you know, one time I had 32 Bitcoin myself in my wallet, right? But in order for me to get to the 20,000, that means I I, I didn't, I couldn't have sold at 2,000. Or three thousand. <laughs> when it hit four thousand, I would have had to not sell, right, and still believe, right, right. at six thousand, seven thousand, thirteen, wow. fourteen, fifteen. All those moments were moments I would have had to say no to the profit and keep the vision to keep that momentum going. So right. it's it's like the hindsight is twenty twenty, of course. And people are like, oh, we could have done this. You know, I should have bought Amazon at, at the beginning. Right. At the beginning, Amazon was one of ten thousand companies doing the same basic, you know, trying to sell online. Right. They're the ones who survived. 
like, how would you have been able to identify that at that moment? And one of the videos that I've seen from you, you, you say, uh, I think, a, a quote from Jeff Bezos about it's not an experiment. If, if, yeah, if, if you know it's going to work, work, it's not an experiment. This is right. really – so you can boil down any – like a speech, I do a lot of keynote speaking, and, and they're awesome. And it's it's fun. It's I love it. I mean, that's because I get so excited. I'm a 12 year old boy. I love this kind of stuff. But but any discussion about innovation really boils down to one concept, which is really just in two words, which is budgeting failure. You have to try things that you don't know will work, which means it might not work. And Jeff Bezos also, the guy is brilliant. He has a million quotes, and he said uh, famously, which I just love, if you have a 10 percent chance. At a 100x return, you would take that every day of the week. Right. You're still going to lose 90% of the time. <laughs> How insane is that? Right. How insane is that? Mathematical, <laughs> no-brainer, right. results in a 90% failure rate. So I've got just a few minutes left with yes. you here on Critical Mass Radio Show and Podcast. But but follow me on this thought exercise and tell me if, the, if, if you can see the logic in this. I believe that the next wave of disruption could come from middle market companies. They don't always have to be startups. The, the problem is you have this constrained business model that you believe in and it's working, so you don't want to tinker with it too much. But yeah. the reality is you have income, revenue, customers. Yeah. You have a market presence. If you could think this way, yeah. find technology that enables this, you could be the disruptor in your market, disrupting the bigger players who have more inertia and it's harder for them to change their business model versus a $50 million company who could become a $500 million company. Yeah. Does, does that make sense yeah, to no, you? Actually, I didn't know you, you were thinking. I, I agree with this from a slightly different angle, but okay. you can break it down into three market players. you got the big boys, you got the mid-market players, and you got the startups and the big boys the bureaucracy and, and all the systems in place you know the biggest obstacle to innovation is your legacy systems your legacy software right. that's you know, it's really difficult so what do they do what does oracle do they buy the startups right right these startups are not most of them are not shooting for ipos they're shooting for <laughs> exits to the top boys right. right so these two get married and it's the middle that i i agree with you they have an opportunity you know the whole skunk works right. theory where you have to take a group of people and isolate them and be like you you can you can come to the conclusion that our business model is doomed it's okay yes the point is you've got to think big you got to and that you they do have they have an opportunity to set some money aside and today the the costs of innovation are coming down so quickly right the minimum viable product that's a concept i first heard by tim ferris i think but it's so common now where you know, I remember back in the day, it would cost ten, fifteen thousand dollars to get a basic website put up. Today, you can do one on Wix for ten bucks. So the costs of doing these things are coming down so rapidly that that yeah, those middle market companies they can allocate some money, and it doesn't have to be that much, and and they can end up beating the marriage of these the big boys with these fancy startups. Right. You know, because you have clients, by. you can ask them. Okay, for us to have a, if we were coming up with a product that costs ten times what we sell today, what else would have to be in this? You can do real world testing with yeah. clients who might actually lead you into that marketplace you if you have that channel. conversation. Yeah, I totally agree with you. But it, but but it has to, it's exactly what you just finished with. It has to start with the conversation, right? And there's another example. I could, I have got tons of these, of course. But but there was there was one who was a company in Napa. But anyway, they, they ended up introducing this uh, three-day, two-night luxury tour up in Napa once a year. 
and, and it was further to one of these strategy sessions, by the way. And I told them it doesn't matter if anyone buys it, buys it so don't worry about that. So they did it. In the first year, they had a, just a couple of people sign up. They ended up canceling it. But the second year, they marketed again. That's the value is in the marketing. You're starting the conversation. Right. You're putting the idea out there. So they did that. And the next year, they had enough to actually do it live. So they did it. Well, who showed up? The people who can afford an expensive retreat and are also interested in their products. And lo and behold, entire new channels of marketing oh opened up from the people who came. Do you understand? <laughs> so it started the conversation, right? right? As soon as you get that ball rolling, all of a sudden, the opportunities start coming at you from different angles. And that is why I wanted you here today on Critical Mass Radio <laughs> Show and Podcast to inspire people to think bigger, to think differently, to recognize there's a change of common, ladies and gentlemen, and don't think it's decades away because it's not. Well, it's, I mean, again, I know we're out of time. Yeah, I but know. It's, it's coming quick. And, well, autonomous vehicles, voice, and uh, blockchain. I mean, those are the three big ones, I would say. And that's all dealt with in, um, I'm going to hold the book up again. It's the, the big title is AI, it's Anarchy Incorporated, Profiting in a Decentralized World with Artificial Intelligence and block pain, sorry, Blockchain. Amazing book, read it on vacation, couldn't get wait to get, get back into the States and, and reach out to this technology futurist, really, who has a great handle on what's going on. And it has just been such a joy to have you on the radio Rick, show. I really appreciate the opportunity. It's wonderful to meet you. Thank you guys so much for listening in today. It's really great. All right. Thank you, Patrick. Yeah, no problem. And, uh, Look for him. Look him up. If they want to buy the book, where do you suggest they go? I mean, it's on. It's in the huh. usual places, but Amazon's the easiest, okay. for sure. And, and uh, it, I would suggest that's only the beginning of what you can learn from this man and uh, hopefully partner with him in the future. So I want to thank the engineer for today's show, Paul Roberts. We went a little bit long, but I appreciate you giving me the extra time. I'd like to thank our producers, without whom we could not do this show, Joan Park, Crystal Nunley, and Haley Stern. If you'd like to connect with me, let's do it on LinkedIn. I'm Richard Franzi, F-R-A-N-Z-I. And until the next show, Show. Hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi.